0: This is Dr. Saba Marouf, and you are listening to Unsung Heroes uncovering stories of inspiration and action here on Podcast Detroit. I've been
1: reading books of old, the legends and the myths, Achilles and his gold, Achilles and his gifts, and Spider-Man's control, and Batman with his fist. And clearly I don't see myself upon that list. But she said where well, she wants.
0: And welcome back to another episode of Unsung Heroes, Stories to Inspire, here on Podcast Detroit. I am your host, Saba Maruf, and my purpose is to share stories of ordinary people who have been sparked by their passion to become movers, shakers, and change makers in our communities. We hope that by sharing these stories of positivity, we will inspire you to live a life of purpose and action. I am joined by my co-host, Calvin Moore. Hey. Hey, Calvin. How are you?
3: Uh, You know what? I'm good. It's it's raining outside.
0: I know, it's but very rainy.
3: I'm happy inside.
0: Well that is good.
3: Of a building. Yeah. <laughs> where I'm not being rained on. Dry. Yes.
0: And we're also here today, uh joined by uh with uh, here with us is um Jess, our sound engineer. Hi Jess. Hi. Hi, thanks for being here. Thanks Always for having me. Us out. Um I'm really excited for today um just to be joined with some some of my friends, new friends, old friends. Uh, it's going to be a great conversation, I think. Um, so actually today our unsung hero is Alicia Chandler. Hi, Alicia. Hi, Saba Hi. She has, So this was your tagline on, or your Twitter or your Huffington Post. Uh, she's a blogger. We're going to find out a little bit more. But she's an attorney, writer, interfaith advocate, and multi-faith mom. I like that. And we're, I'm also here. We're also joined um, by our friend, Another guest. She wants to be a silent observer, but I told her that she's going to want to talk. Um, Very good friend of mine, Zarina Aftab. Welcome, Zarina. Thank you. Um, How's everyone doing today? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Really excited. Really happy to be here yeah. with you today. Alicia, you were like one of my, I don't know if you're one of my only, but one of my live listeners. I know you tuned in live last week. I did. <laughs> what? So since I you're live you're listener? here, I know, isn't that? So oh, I don't gosh. know if anyone else is actually listening live since she's a guest. <laughs> yeah, no. What? You have
3: it you're playing on your really phone one. right now while you're on? Oh, yeah. Don't do Right. They tag <laughs> yeah, on the don't radio. Do don't
0: do that. Whatever. But. Um, but so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for taking time, both of you, out of your Thank busy schedules. And um, and you guys you guys have really been, Zarina too, she's been um, one of my supporters from the get-go. She was one of the first people I told about this little project that was brewing in my mind. So I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so proud of you. Oh, this is awesome. Me Thank too. you.
2: Yeah. See? <laughs> <laughs> Thank Hold you, Calvin. You. Calvin was it really was, the uh,
0: first. Was, I was like,
2: eh, this idea. Yeah. It's well, going well, though.
0: It's going very well.
2: And remember, it was actually at a sisterhood meeting you were debating the podcast name. Still, oh, I don't even remember that. Really? When really the night of the horrible storm and all the power oh, yeah. outages—that's right—you we, were trying to brainstorm with everyone what the name of the pod should be. Oh wow! Yeah, oh my gosh. you sent me like
3: several different yes. iterations, different names. I
0: know, and this one stuck. And yes, it did. I'm glad that we went with it. It's, yeah, a good one. it's a good one. So, thank you all for being here. Um, just as a brief introduction, just um, again, you know, I want to kind of get into the conversation, so I won't go too long, but. Um, I do want to just talk a little bit about Alicia because, you know, we're kind of new friends. We met as we um, actually the three of us and uh, some of our other friends and um, new acquaintances and friends were um, joining to start. And we'll talk about this um, launch, basically a Michigan, Michigan chapters or what do you call them? Yeah. Uh, chapters. Chapters of SOSS, which we'll talk about, which is Sisterhood of Salaam Shalom. Um, And that's when we met. Um, But basically Alicia is – she serves in so many capacities. It's really interesting. Her day job uh, is that she is – she serves as general counsel. She's a lawyer, general counsel for the Continuing Care Division of Trinity Health. Um, But she is – serves so many interesting roles. She's the vice president – currently the vice president of the Jewish Community Relations Council slash American Jewish Committee known as JCRC. AJC. I'm definitely going to mess that up later on. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, a lot of letters. But an organization that's dedicated to representing the metropolitan Detroit Jewish community, um, Israel and Jews throughout the world to the general community and to establish collaborative relationships with other ethnic, racial, civic and religious groups. Um, she's had numerous roles within AJC, including serving as one of the inaugural co-chairs of the Access Global Steering Committee, an organization of AJC's most promising young professionals. Um, she's also been the co-chair of their Access – this is really cool – Access Global's Muslim Jewish Task Force and currently is a member of the Board of the Governor's Interreligious Steering Committee. Um, and she was actually selected as a delegate in 2009 for the Durban Review Conference in Geneva, Switzerland. She's, when, yeah. when
3: I hear task force i always yeah. think like flak jackets and action movies <laughs> so is it far is it, it but it seems like that's far less action movie related than than i wanted to be
2: we did not have any cool get-ups or costumes oh, or uh, other uniforms that we had to kick, wear did you at Darn. least
3: kick in one door
2: you know i'm gonna make that a goal for my next task okay. force is right. to have like some type of uniform okay. that we go in
3: okay
0: i could see alicia doing that so <laughs> you know you for those of you uh, everyone that's listening alicia how tall are you six feet yeah, and you can't even also tell when you're sitting, but she is like a force to be reckoned with. So I can see you so kicking you, down you, some doors. You could, kick
3: a, you could kick in a door.
0: Awesome. <laughs> um, she's a member of the 2017 Oakland County Elite 40 Under 40. That is See, what there, there it
3: is again. Task force, elite. Yes. elite ta- yeah, yeah, kick in a door for us. <laughs> Let us know next
0: time. <laughs> Maybe we can have you do it here. Um, as I mentioned, um, she, along with others um, uh, in the Jewish and Muslim community, have helped establish several chapters of the Sisterhood of Salaam Shalom here in Michigan um, with Zarina. Actually, you and Zarina really took the lead on that. There was a lot of us that met, a few of us, about you know five or seven, but you guys really took the lead, and that's why I'm really excited to have you both here to talk about that. Another thing that I thought was very cool, because I had no idea until you sent me your bio, is that you graduated cum laude from Harvard Law School. That's like a pretty big deal.
2: I did. That was a past life.
1: But yes, she's my daughter's hero.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's amazing. And she doesn't. And I mean, I love that you're so humble. And I didn't know until you emailed this to me. Um, But she's a Wolverine. She also she has a bachelor's in business administration from the University of Michigan Business School, where she graduated with high distinction. Um, and interestingly, she's also a blogger for the Huffington Post, and we're going to be talking about one of your posts very soon too. Um, She's married to her college sweetheart, and we'll be talking a little bit about your husband. <laughs> he does come up from time to time, yeah, <laughs> specifically with that blog post, and has two elementary age children. And we also, as I mentioned, are here with our friend Zarena, who is a clinical social worker who's worked in various capacities over the years. Um. And she, including school counselor at one of our local Islamic schools, Huda School, and she's helped start the Michigan-based SOSS um, along with Alicia. So yep. thank you both again for being here. Yep. So excited. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So, you know, just kind of getting into it. So I kind of read all these interesting things about you and your different roles, um, leadership roles in the Jewish community. So tell us a little bit about that, how that kind of. How you grew into that, and how your um, role has kind of, you know, how you've kind of defined yourself over the years, and how you've built yourself into this niche of this
2: interreligious committees and things like that. So I think you know, Jewish activism and involvement is literally in my blood since I can remember. Um, I was always I was in youth group as a child, which was very meaningful to me. Many other sort of Jewish experiences growing up that was a big part of my world. But when I moved back here after law school, I was trying to find a home. And I think that happens probably Mm -hmm. to many young people in their 20s. You come back home, but home is different now than when you left at 18. And what do you do and how do you sort of become who you are and who you're supposed to be? And I probably struggled a little bit in my mid-20s for that. Then I found this group, American Jewish Committee, that was doing a lot of diplomatic work, a lot of interfaith work. And really, there's a lot of Jewish organizations. Um, But to me, American Jewish Committee specifically was about connecting my community, the Jewish community, with the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And I loved that. Um, It really felt immediately like home to me. And one of the work, a piece of the work that they were just getting involved in was the Muslim-Jewish relationship. And something that's interesting growing up here in Detroit is that we have this large Jewish community and we have this large Muslim community and they don't or didn't, at least when I was growing up, talk to each other. There wasn't a lot of interaction between the two communities, which is really a shame. And when I started in and started into this work, I really thought of it. It seemed like a challenge. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as I started, the shocking part to me in the best and most positive way was that being with a group of Muslim women feels like being home. (laughs) So there is a common perception in the press or in society that Jews and Muslims are really different or have nothing in common or this should be a hard relationship. And what I found was exactly the opposite in many ways, it was the easiest relationship um, to get involved in. So I continue, you know, touching into that. And really that became the one of the essential parts of sort of where I wanted to be in community activism because it felt so natural. And I almost wanted to be, to to pull a word from another faith, evangelical about going mm-hmm. and like preaching to people that – to go out to meet our neighbors and that what this could do, not just from an organizational standpoint, because that's, you know, but also from a personal level of creating meaningful friendships So this, um, these relationships, my friendship with Zarina, which amazingly has only been a few months, but has been such an impactful um, friendship and relationship in my life th- that these things are real and easy. So it's because of that, it's really become An essential part of my Judaism is that interfaith outreach um, and specifically the Muslim Jewish outreach and connecting these two communities. Wow, that's really cool. I didn't realize that that was really
0: kind of like, as you mentioned, home or niche that you kind of found or realized you wanted to do early on. And you're right. I think. I don't remember or recall. I mean, there was a lot of interfaith stuff happening here um, you know, I was here for high school and I remember kind of getting – just starting to get involved with interfaith things when I was in high school. I helped um, organize an interfaith panel like my senior year of high school as I was starting to get into it. But I don't remember specifically Muslim-Jewish relations and that's always, of course, been a little bit hmm, – not difficult but uh, touchy, of course, because of you know the politics in the Middle East. And it's not, I think, to both of our groups and we'll talk about this later – even politics is kind of like almost like minimizing it. It's, I mean, some of these issues are kind of the heart and soul of both groups. And I'm not Palestinian. is not Palestinian, no, not, nope. but for Muslims, like the plight of you know what we would, you know Palestine is something that's really dear to I think many most Muslims. So yeah. I can see why. So do you think that people were kind of hesitant to delve into those um, dialogue that kind of dialogue and
2: I think communication? there's. I think there's a lot of fear. Um, And to give an example of what I would view, I don't want to say is interfaith gone wrong. But I think sometimes, you know, one thing that some great leaders I've learned from have taught me is you not only learn from your successes, you learn way more from your failures. Hmm. And very early on, there's a group of young, then young, who are a little older now, Jews in Detroit, who are interested in doing Muslim Jewish dialogue. And what they – what we did together is we formed a book club, just Jews, because we were worried that going into this experience, we had to educate ourselves more on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict to go in as if becoming friends with someone was about knowing these 2,000 years of history, 6,000 years of history. And it was a great book club independently. I love that book club experience. We never got to the next step. We never – did any outreach to Muslims because we were coming at that point from the wrong place. Mm. You don't go to okay. make friends. If I was to make a new Christian friend or a Hindu friend or atheist friend, I would never walk up to them and say... Before we become friends, I want to know your opinions on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I want to know, (laughs) are you pro-life or pro-choice? I want to know who you voted for in the last election. Here are all the red lines of my life. Here are the red lines that I will not be friends with you if you fall outside of them. That's not the way friendship works. That's not the way life works. But somehow we were putting this rule on if if Jews... And Muslims were going to talk. We had to vet each other on Israel and Palestine. Mm. And it in a lot of ways felt unnatural. So going forward and a lot of the work I've done since. Israel and Palestine is part of the Jewish identity. It's part of the Muslim identity. And it's not something that should be off the table in what friends can talk about. But it also doesn't have to be the starting point Mm. of what you need to talk about on the first day. And you have to learn to be accepting in these friendships that people are going to have different views and different lived experiences than you. And one of the important things I want to remember in forming new friendships is that you have to go into friendships, not just with the idea that you're going to go into a friendship and you're going to change someone else's views on something, But you have to go in with the possibility that you might also be changed by that friendship. And twice in this activism, more than that, but there's two instances I want to call out of people who have greatly changed me. So there's a wonderful group I'll give a shout out to, the Muslim Jewish Forum of Detroit. It's a group of Muslims and Jews a little bit younger than me now, 20s and early 30s. And who are just doing wonderful, wonderful programming. When it was first getting established, there was a young um, Palestinian-American involved, and he started talking to me about growing up and every summer going and spending summers in Gaza with his family, and about his lived experience of traveling back and forth. And I you know would also share some of my experiences with him, but hearing about this view of Gaza, this growing up there, his ties to his family. Really impacted me and my perceptions. Another shout out is to there is another young man involved in it who is a filmmaker who did a documentary called "Kick Flips Over Occupation." He his family is from the West Bank. Hearing his story was also very important to me. So in friendships, we get to share stories mm. and those and share experiences, and that's important, and that can't be off limits. So when we talk about, we can't just talk about Israel and Palestine as something, you know, it's 6,000 miles away and we can only affect it so much here, but it doesn't have to be a barrier as long as we're willing to be open and listen to each other. And that concept
1: of stories is very important. And that was um, one of the... um, themes of SOSS, you know, I I know we were going to go into that later, but one of the uh, themes is stories are something that are um, uh, told from your perspective and no one really can argue with that. Your story is your story. And um, when it comes to those kind of, um, you know, the Israeli-Palestinian issue, um, if you come to someone and to want to talk to them and tell them your experience and that and that's important so stories so, are important so we're kind of jumping sure. the gun
3: because we're going to talk about this anyway yeah. but i think we're we're kind of totally in, cool. the, in the midst of it yeah. Yeah. uh the question that comes out of that for me uh, personally is you know with with the election of donald trump there were a lot of friendships that uh, uh ended for, <laughs> for me uh <coughs> people got blocked on facebook for sure you know particular uh, heated uh, political climate that America tends to be when elections come up. Um, and, and we're not talking about political grandstanding on Facebook, you know, okay, if you vote this guy, you're an idiot, and then we all come back together after, okay, sorry, I said some dumb things on the internet, now that the election's over, we could be friends again. Um, but more so with this particular election, and, and I, I see this connected to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict as well, uh, there were people who were saying, hey, I'm voting this way, but we can still be friends. and. My my response was generally, well, your particular worldview, your particular outlook on life, you want to be friends with me but your entire outlook is predicated on my denial – of a, a, on a denial of my basic humanity. And so no, we can't be friends. No, we can't hang out. No, we're not going to go have beers because – we're going to avoid all the difficult topics that we should be talking about, and privately, you're denying my humanity at the same time. And so, when I think about like the the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, there are very, very disparate views. I took a group of Jewish people on a tour of uh, of Detroit when they came in. I, I own a tour company; that's that's how I make money, right? And the group had literally just gotten off the plane from Israel were downtown, there was a Jewish group that was hosting them and part of their welcome to Detroit was hiring me to take them on a tour. I took them on a tour and when we got down to the riverfront, you know, obviously Canada is south of us. Detroit's the only place in the lower 48 where you look south into Canada. Um, this group of individuals had no they, – they had no concept of being so close to another border and not being shelled by that border or not having your own group shell that other group and so or have bombs lobbed into each other's countries and so there was no concept at all of, of friendship uh, you know despite disagreement yeah. and so for me like I'm hearing everything you're saying but I don't know how I don't know how to have those kind of conversations when I feel like the other person's worldview is predicated upon denial of my own humanity. Mm. For me, it's more political stuff than it is Palestinian-Israeli conflict because I'm black. So that, that doesn't have anything to do with it. But when I have white-black friendships, it definitely comes into play quite often. So what are your thoughts on that?
2: So – and I think you raised so many interesting points there. And the issue of whether someone can be friends you know, with a Trump voter. So – and I know – and I know one of the things you want to talk about today is I wrote um, a piece back in October, I believe. Actually, no, it might have been earlier than that. I think it was August um, for the Huffington Post um, about I will still love my husband if he d- votes for Donald Trump. I'm going to give you the postscript. He, in fact, voted for Donald Trump. Right. Um, so. So
3: how's the divorce going? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're sticking by that. OK. All right.
2: um, and. These are challenging issues in my life.
3: Do you get to come home and complain every day about your job now to him? Like, you don't know how hard you made it for me.
2: In my um, job now. The, we actually last night, um, I was going to bed early and with, with the vote um, since AHCA was passed by the house yesterday. And um, the Medicaid cuts will, if they were to go through, would have a great impact on my career and my life. And, you know, that the actual part of my life that Pays me a salary. Um, yeah, that's challenging. And there's challenges a lot of days, and I don't want to dismiss them. And I never want to judge anyone's personal choices if there's relationships in their lives that are bad for them, that, you know, people they need to cut off. I think we, you know, that's our right and that's what we should do. I find for me personally, and I will, by the way, acknowledge in that I'm coming in from a place of privilege because while I'm a minority, I always describe it lately as I'm an invisible minority. So while I am a religious minority, I have white skin. I have an Anglican name due in part to my husband, but in a greater part to his grandfather who (laughs) changed it from a very Polish last name to this Anglican sounding Chandler. Mm -hmm. I come from everything in a place of privilege. And in part of that, I have kept relationships in my life with people who disagree with me greatly who disagree perhaps with my entire worldview, um, who even maybe disagree with, um, you know, this work I'm doing, Muslim-Jewish relations, who think that is counterproductive, who maybe have negative impact feelings about my friends. So why do I make the choice then not to just cut out people from my life? My husband being one example, but if I had to start assessing my friends and how many voted for Trump— I don't know, but I think it's probably a lot. And in that, I take the crazy optimistic view that in the long run that these relationships we have change us and that with positivity over time, perhaps people will realize the impacts their choices have had and are having in our country and maybe we'll come to a different place. Um will that be true universally? No. But I sometimes think every win is a win. And in those friendships, it's a two way street. I do get things out of it. I learn different ways to articulate um my views. There are different reasons to advocate for positions I have other than just – how to say this? Um, I come from things from a very moralistic background. (laughs) This is right. This is wrong and not getting in depth of why this policy is right and why this policy is wrong. So from some of my more conservative friends, I have learned different ways to attack the same issues. For instance, if we're talking about the Muslim ban – um, I reacted, as I'm sure all of us reacted, with absolute horror.
3: That's as, how I actually met Saba. She's yeah, she doing an episode of true. my show discussing the Muslim ban, which is interesting.
2: Um, and then I had a friend who was actually make, talk about the Muslim ban being wrong and making an economic argument. And that's not where I came from. I came from this is wrong because this is wrong. Right. And I am the grandchild of refugees who had they not gotten here from Poland in 1929, I would not be here today. That my grandfather lost all of his brothers and sisters to the Holocaust. So I feel and I think the Jewish community especially feels the issues of refugees, the issues of the Muslim ban really acutely because move this back 100 years ago and by the way, I'm totally going to steal this from Professor Howie Lupovich at, um, from Wayne State because he made this comparison, but substitute in Muslim as terrorist, and 100 years ago, you were Jew as communist. And the exact same arguments were being made to keep people mm-hmm. out. And there was a Polish quota, not a Yemeni quota. You know, it was the same thing. So we have this oblig- moral obligation, religious obligation to speak up. But from other friends of mine, They were saying, well, we don't like this, but we're not going to get into the moralistic arguments. We're going to talk about how the American economy needs immigrants, about how these bans hurt our educational systems, about the percentage of university students who are foreign-born who are now going to choose to go to McGill and not University of Michigan because they feel that their status here is in jeopardy. And – the interesting part about that for me is that's not the first place I would go, but having all of those conversations, I think, helps broaden us to my – that things can be wrong at different levels, and we do different arguments to reach different people. So the broader mm-hmm. our world is, the more information we get and the more it allows us to synthesize. With that being said, there are clearly some relationships that are too toxic – that there can't be that degree of honesty that you need to have a true relationship. And those are challenges and sometimes need to be walked away from. Mm. In that, so yeah, right,
0: that blog post was, I will still love my husband even if he votes for Donald Trump, you mentioned. And one of the quotes from that said, um, what did you say? I believe that Donald Trump is dangerous for America, but I believe that letting Donald Trump divide us as Americans is even more dangerous. I think you just described that. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. So, yeah, and I think just to go on a little bit from there is I think there's a lot of people who justified their votes for Donald Trump maybe in what they thought was going to happen, what they didn't think was going to happen. And in the moving forward piece, because I'm always about positive action and moving forward, is at this point – We have to work on the policies. We've talked about AHCA, which is obviously at the forefront of our minds now, um, fighting in courts on any continued immigration issues. We have to fight on the policies. We have to fight in the ballot box, but we never will convince someone we're right by calling Mm -hmm. them stupid. (laughs) So to go forward, we have to talk about the policies. We have to talk about their impacts. And personally, I, when I talk to people, want to try to talk to them about what brought them to that decision. Why did they make it? Would they make a different decision if it was today now knowing the things that have happened? And maybe for them, the answer is no, but there are these big swaths of people who feel unrepresented, I think almost everyone feels unrepresented by our government now is the interesting part of this, Um, which minority groups have understood for a long time feeling unrepresented Mm -hmm. by the government. But it's this interesting phenomenon that now rural white voters feel unrepresented by the government. Who does feel represented by the government now? And I'm not quite sure who that is anymore. So hearing people again, going back to the idea of stories, what are their stories? What got them here? And then sharing sometimes the personal anecdotes of how this actually impacts people that we know and love. Um, I wrote recently in the Jewish News about a good friend of mine who's a Yemeni asylum seeker who is living in D.C. and how this has and will continue to impact him. So while the Muslim ban may not stop me from freely crossing the borders, I think about him every day. And sharing his story and the stories of others that we know who this affects, I think that's really important. And in the course of these relationships, it allows us to share those stories.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think you're, you know, I think that you're right. Um, And you also said, too, I mean, and this kind of goes with that another quote from that post, while we can all finger point as to what has caused this political climate, the better question for each of us is whether we have become part of the problem or are we going to be part of the solution? That's what I would add. So, okay, so today's Friday, um, you know, May 5th, and as you mentioned, so this is kind of interesting. Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, i got say it right. Um, but hot, <laughs> hot off the heels of, you know, this big decision yesterday, and, um, and it's interesting because obviously we were scheduled to talk together before this, and I was like, how is this going to impact our conversation? I just think it's really interesting. So actually, how was it for you going home yesterday, and you were, I mean, personally, but as morally, consciously, you know what I mean? It impacts you on different levels but then also specifically very directly through your your job. I mean – And how did you go home and talk to your, have a discussion or did you, or did you not have a discussion with your husband?
2: So all all of us in this room have children. So I know this is going to be shocking. Yesterday we dealt with the cancellation (laughs) of a little league game. Yeah, that's true. Booking, um, quickly booking a batting cage. So something baseball like could be done, getting the kids in bed, making sure my daughter got a strep throat medicine. Most of life and most of married life and most of mine and my husband's partnership is not about politics very little is um it's about the home we have together it's about raising these two wonderful children it's the love we've had for each other for 18 years um like that it existed long before donald trump and god willing will exist long (laughs) after him um so those are the important pieces to me um and I you know Calvin and I were talking a little bit before we went on the air. I think we have different optimisms relating to whether now it will pass the Senate. So um, in my sometimes naive, often naive, um, unending optimism, I am still optimistic that this can be challenged and and not passed before it gets through the Senate um, and hoping for a certain level of incompetence that will help us along the way because this will have an impact and If it goes to the Senate, I'm sure my employer is drafting and has been drafting, I've seen the tweets going out this morning, an advocacy strategy to help fight this. Because one of the important things, I think, for folks who are not, you know, maybe don't delve into the details of healthcare, is just know this, that the American Medical Association is against this. Mm -hmm. Um, The American Hospital Association is against this. AARP is against this. So when... Anyone tries to tell you that physicians or hospitals or patients want this, the answer is no. So I think we Even have the
3: members to... of Congress don't want this. I mean they exempted themselves from <laughs> right. from this, right? They always exempt themselves, mm-hmm.
2: but Right. and let's I mean the amount, number of Americans that have a pre-existing condition kind of is like 9.9 north... percent 9. of everyone. <laughs> right. So I think, you know, we have to continue the education and continue the pain point for someone who would vote in favor of this um, because there will hopefully be real impacts because I think what we expect our members of Congress to do is, you know, help protect the American people and pulling health care <laughs> and doing something that will be detrimental to our health care system um, is not that. So obviously I'm not here to advocate um, against the HCA. But And I think if when – my, my husband and I talk about it because I'm sure, you know, we will eventually when there's a moment where <laughs> there's actually time to talk. Um, we tend to have very reasonable conversations about these points. We try to ground ourselves in facts. We try to ground ourselves in um, <clears throat> underlying values. We have differing opinions frequently on what the role of government is versus the role of private corporations versus the role of religious institutions and civil society so that's part of the conversation but we tend to have learned and i won't pretend this is always um but in the past 18 years we've tended to learn to do that in a respectful and grounded way um i don't i sometimes guess how he will I don't think he was particularly – I'm guessing he wasn't particularly in for this, but maybe I'll be wrong. Um, But that he voted for the president also doesn't mean that he supports everything that the president does. Um, And the reasons he – and one of the things I talked about in the piece uh, in the Huffington Post was that politically we come from our – we, we come to our decisions in very unique ways. And I talk very specifically about a story that happened to me in 2004. I'd gone to a friend's wedding down in South Carolina. And this was after the wedding and drinks may have been a factor. <laughs> and I lit into my friend's boyfriend. About how and I want to put this in the context of 2004. Massachusetts had just passed um, the well, we had just gotten gay marriage four months beforehand. So I didn't understand how, as a gay man, he could be a Republican. And he actually was working in D.C. as a Republican. And I lit into him in a way that, when I look back now, I'm embarrassed at because his political identity was really complex <laughs> and. He had all these competing values, and he still was a Republican, even though I think there was definitely a conflict with his values as a gay man, um, as there probably still are. We've lost test over the years. But even this year, some of the stats show 29% of Hispanics voted for Donald Trump. So we have really complex identities that get us to these votes. And again, that's why I think the stories are important, because... When we just put, like, the labels on of, you know, Trump voter, Clinton voter, suburbanite, rural, urban. Or just even good
0: versus bad. Right. So I have these conversations with my husband, um, and it's interesting because—so he works uh, in Port Huron, and, you know, so kind of a different demographic. He's there four days a week, and he's a dermatologist. He does um, most surgery. Some of these surgeries take hours, so— he spends the time. Actually, sometimes they'll listen to TED talks with his patients. Sometimes, you know, they just talk, and he is it's interesting because usually dermatologists are in and out in fifteen minutes, but because of this very specific, um, the procedures that he does, it can take a lot longer. Anyway, um, but anytime I'm, you know, I come home and I am upset when we finally put everyone to bed and everything, and we have like five minutes to talk, and I'm uh, still awake enough to be upset about something. Um, he'll, <laughs> he'll, be, you know, he does kind of challenge me, and not because he's necessarily from whatever, that other side, but that's the whole thing. It's like this good versus, just simplifying it as good versus bad. He gets this other perspective from from people that voted for Donald Trump, but that, you know, they are that they have their reasons. They're struggling. They have their own perspectives. It does not mean that they're racist or that, they, you know, they're coming to a Muslim doctor, for God's sake, you know, that they hate all minorities, um, but they have. Re- and so it's interesting because he'll kind of challenge me and I'll get a little frustrated. i be like, I just I'm just mad. Just leave me alone. Stop making me think right now. <laughs> but it's it's it, that's we have to kind of challenge ourselves. At our mosque, actually, and Zarina was there. She was part of this. Um, right after the election, we kind of had a session just for all of us to process and kind of debrief. And actually, Sayed Khan was um, – he's wonderful. He's always available to kind of talk to us. And um, we had a separate session for – we, we had a, a joint session. Then we had a separate session where the adults were um, just having – basically had a conversation and then the youth actually we had youth groups and Zerino was there to um, kind of process things with different age groups with amongst the youth but that was something that he talked about too and I'm, I'm paraphrasing him but uh, same thing I mean he grew up in Michigan he have large part of the many years he was in Lapeer I think his parents are still there and same thing it's like if we're going to vilify each other we're stopping the conversation before we even get started and we're not understanding each other we're not you know, so it's just very easy. We're not even going to, we're just going to be at a stalemate and not understand each other and not be able to move forward.
1: Well, one of the, one of the activities that I did with the kids at mm-hmm. that time, which was, you know, kind of, the kids' minds were kind of blown, was, you know, we were in a carpeted area. I drew a line um, and I wrote a number. Um, uh, was a nine on our one side and a six for on the other side, but it was really about perspective. And they, it was kind of one of those things where they're like, well, no, I, I see a six, and the other side says, no, I see a nine. And they were, they were um, tried to, we, we discussed that, that perspective change and that paradigm that it's, you have to look at it from another point of view so that was that was really interesting, so
3: now see, I always find this kind of stuff fascinating, <laughs> but I grew up to use that word evangelical right I grew up in an evangelical Christian background. I think when you're you're black and in america you 're going to grow up like pentecostal evangelical christian, and uh, obviously you know Christians... We're like, oh, you know, we got the we got the other half. <laughs> you know, Jews only have half, and we got the other half, and then Muslims got more, and you know, it's just <laughs> all these different things, right? Um, but t- to take a, an idea from from Judaism, uh, this idea of yoking oxen together, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and within the Christian faith, it says, you know, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So it talks about Christians not marrying non Christians. Um, and then I've heard other Christians say, well, you know, well, Christians shouldn't marry Jews, shouldn't marry Muslims. You should all marry people who believe in the same god so if you believe jesus is god you need to marry someone who believes jesus is god let jewish people marry jewish people muslim people marry muslim people and just which makes sense in terms of building a home together right because yeah, yeah i
2: should mention i failed at that one too i was <laughs> yeah. getting that
3: idea but but the idea comes from this you, you grow up and you hear the the analogies from your religion and you don't put two and two together as to what culture they were speaking into and why they were using that particular imagery. And there was this idea of be not unequally yoked. And, you know, Jesus is speaking into this agrarian culture, so they all know farming. And the idea was you don't put an older oxen with a younger baby oxen because the bigger oxen is going to drag the smaller oxen and snap its neck and would would, would kill it. And so putting this together, the agrarian culture understood immediately this metaphor, Yeah, obviously. Why would you do that? You would kill the other person. So why would I marry someone and be in, in relationship where I have to build this life, build this home, lead our children uh, in a situation where it's going to cause a lot of tension? And so my question for – and people do it all the time obviously. They do it all the time. I'm married to someone who holds a lot of the same beliefs. I don't know what I would have done had she uh, voted for Donald Trump. Now, her entire family did. She's so white, by the way. I don't she's white. Yeah, my remember. wife is white. Uh, so, yeah, she was black. You'd be like, what? No. But <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't compute, although there are a few. Like, eight, um, 8%
2: of, of African Americans yeah. voted eight, for eight, Donald yeah,
3: Trump. Yeah, 8%. Uh, but what percent were white? That's, that's a, <laughs> huge right? a huge difference, right? Huge difference. But I don't know what I would do had I married someone who had deep philosophical differences from me. I mean, we, we have differences, obviously. We're, men and women, we generally have differences to begin with. But our base is in lockstep with each other. And so when I think what my question for you then would be in an interface what is your husband religiously is he Catholic? He's Catholic. Okay, so Catholic, Jewish, uh, is your husband Muslim or My uh,
1: husband is Muslim. He's Muslim. Okay. So, so is right. interesting
0: too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yes.
3: But um, But when you do so I, so I guess my question there uh, my question will be for both of you because there's still going right, to be differences. Right. But uh, cuz there are even within Islam, there's Sunni, Shi'i, things like that, right? So that that could be uh, difficulties. But how do you build a life together when your base religious philosophy and it sounds like your base uh, political ideologies are are different? How do you what do you instill in your children in those oh, moments?
1: And how she's raising her children? Yeah,
3: very
2: interesting. What do you do there? <laughs> so. so I want to bring in another religious concept. Okay. So there is this wor- a word in Hebrew called "beshert." Mm-hmm. It means destiny mm-hmm. for destined. And there's a story that often gets told at Jewish weddings. I think it's from the Talmud, which is a Jewish text, but I could be wrong on that. That there's the idea that before souls get sent down to earth, God breaks each soul in half and sends it down and then you're basically like a quest when you're looking for your partner
3: finding that soulmate, mate
2: right you're, that soulmate, <laughs> finding <laughs> the other half of your soul that's put on earth now this is where I lose everyone and I, I'm going to acknowledge that I have a true belief and I have for a very long time now uh, my husband and I met, met when we were sophomores in college and have been together ever since that my husband as crazy as it sound is the other half of my soul. He absolutely is the person I'm supposed to be with. So then as a person of faith, and trust me, early in the relationship, I questioned God a lot. Was making me fall in love with this man who, there is no way we can form a life together, right? There's no way this is going to work. There's no way this is going to... And in anything but heartbreak, you know, being slightly melodramatic, nineteen and twenty year old that I was, <laughs> there's no way this ends well. And if you asked any of our friends, they would have all said the same thing. Oh no, there's no way this ends well. Um. So I I would ask God, why is my like? Couldn't you have just given me like a nice Jewish boy first soulmate <laughs> that everything would be nice and easy and. I could come home and complain about something and they would be, yes, you're exactly right. I feel exactly the same way. And I realized after time and struggling, I mean, various times struggling with this because we had no idea. We knew we were in love. We had no idea how this worked. It wasn't just me. He was struggling too. He had never met a Jewish person before he showed up in Ann Arbor. Okay. So, huh. it, it, at least I'm
3: some culture shock for you.
2: <laughs> at least I met a Catholic. He, <laughs> when he brought me home, that was a little bit of a surprise. So, when, so how does this work? And that was my struggle for a very long time, and then I finally accepted that this is part of my journey on Earth is to learn to navigate this relationship. To, and I think in many ways. And again, this might seem like a non sequitur for some people, but the work I do now in interfaith, the work, you know, in intergroup relations, all of that comes from him. Because in a sense, if we are possible, isn't anything possible? Like if we can make this work (laughs) um, and you mentioned, you know, tension in the home. We actually don't have tension in the home.
3: Just because we haven't talked about this ACH. Yet. <laughs> um, right. Well, we
2: right. we made it through. We made it through. Well, the election. He was down in Florida, and that was probably a good thing. Um, <laughs> I needed a few days to recover. You so in
3: Florida, you got a bottle of wine. You just, let's just do this.
2: Um, so we. So when we talk about raising the, ch- the children, which I know Zarina is fascinated, my children actually go. They're educated, formal religiously, at um, a synagogue, and they also go to Catholic faith formation at a church. So they get a lot of faith, and they are children of – surprise. They, they surprise me with their ability to understand concepts that I would think they couldn't. And they will very much tell you our family is Jewish and Catholic, and they will talk about Jesus, um, but they will talk about G- Jesus as a Jew, as well, well as cuz he was, right? cause, cause he was <laughs> um, as well so they've picked up a lot my daughter reads the bible to her she's 6 she reads the bible to herself every night i don't read the bible to myself every night so we haven't created a place of tension because we've come up with this loving togetherness and when we talk about more heated political issues especially in front of the children cuz especially immigration and building the wall, mm. especially during the campaign, we know, sadly, that a lot of that rhetoric came into our schools, too. Um,
3: Absolutely. We saw a school in Royal Oak where the kids were saying.
2: Right. So so we know that a lot of the rhetoric and all of these pieces. So when we talk about these issue with our children, what we try to do is just to be honest about the issues, to talk about them from a very complex perspective, not to, well, I would just say this idea is idiotic. What it has caused me to do my, is not just to say this idea is idiotic and leave it there, to actually go through with my children why a wall is a bad idea, the role immigrants play in our society, and get into the longer conversation with them, which at the end of the day I think will make them better prepared for the world. It's harder. Some days it's exhausting because some days the shorthand is really easy. Yeah, (laughs) And to not be able to use the shorthand, sometimes I just need to go take a nap. But I can't use the shorthand in my house. Neither can he. So we delve into the deeper issues. We delve into them with our kids, too. Um, And... Let them work out in their little six and eight year old heads, you know who they're going to come to be, which is not going to look like us. But the way I look is not like how my parents look. The way he believes is not exactly what his parents believe. So they're going to come into their own selves, and we just want to equip them with the decision making ability and the ability to ask a ton of questions and to be critical thinkers. And then hopefully, knock, you know, talk to me in twenty years. I'll let you know how it turns out. <laughs> okay.
3: So real quick, um, let's talk a little bit, very briefly, unfortunately, uh, about SOSS and you and Zarina and, and, and how you were inspired to launch in this area. What's, what's your friendship been like in the last couple of months that you've known each other? Um, but, yeah, talk about that, and then we'll kind of use that to take us out.
1: So – um, SOSS started in on the East Coast. Um, it was actually my sister-in-law and a Jewish friend of hers that um, saw this um, problem of um, Jewish and Muslim women not, commu- you know, not really communicating, not really trusting each other. Um, there were some interfaith groups, um, you know, that had popped up, but they weren't um, at the core about. Uh, becoming friends it was more of you know debating issues and um so they they formed this group and it just went crazy i mean it was everybody wanted to start a group and have these um friendship uh, uh deep friendships not just superficial friendships so um, I, you know, I love the model, and I wanted to start it here in Detroit. And um, I was looking at somebody's—I think it was Subba—it was your Facebook page—and you started talking about it as well. And Alicia, the power was, of social like, media, yeah, <laughs> it really is. And I saw Alicia's comments like I want to start it, and uh, she wanted to start a group or a chapter here. So, I reached out to her. She reached out to me, and we said,
0: "Hey, let's take somaya put, um somaya it was yeah. also put us in touch too right so from uh, uh, interfaith she Leadership she's, council she is a
2: connector of all people yes <laughs> <laughs> get the shout out
1: so so we just uh had our first steering committee, and it just um popped up, and people
0: wanted to um, join so yeah and I think it's um and we're gonna actually gonna be wrapping up soon, but I think it's really interesting. we had our first meeting, and then our second meeting was um uh at your house's mm-hmm. arena, so a Muslim home, and we were kind of celebrating or talking about the seder. And the next one is actually next week. We're meeting at one of our uh, Jewish Jewish. sisters' homes, and we're going to be talking about Ramadan. So it's really, I mean, I've been really enjoying
2: it, too. And and
3: guys are not allowed to come to any of this stuff? No, No.
2: Sisterhood. sisterhood. S-O-S-S. So much stuff I could
3: learn. (laughs) That's kind of sexist to me. I don't know.
2: And and the real Uh, point is to form those long-lasting small groups, intimate sessions, to really form friendships. because develop trust. Yes. Yes. I mean, that was the other thing. The
0: trust. Wow. Yeah. I mean, actually, yeah. What were, I mean, we talked a little bit of our experiences, but just how do you – well, kind of – you mentioned this kind of, Alicia, but how do you think Muslim-Jewish relations have changed in the past few years?
2: From my perspective, we – it's – there's a lot of good people who did a lot of work before this year, and I'm really, really thankful for all that good work. Um, Sumaya, Michigan Muslim Community Council mm-hmm. – uh, JCRC, AJC, Wisdom. 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 Yes. There are a lot of great groups that were doing this work. And what we really have a place of trust between certain leaders in our community. I think it needs to be more. I think it needs to spread. But we are um, – I know Iman um, Amas Mari spoke at my synagogue last week or the week before. We really have – fostered this relationship and I think SOSS is the next step because it's not enough to go to these big, large, 200 people in a room, Mm -hmm. hear some speakers, clap your hand. This is the next step of actually helping people form lasting and meaningful friendships and to have be able to have the more difficult conversations but have the real relationships because that's really what I think this world is all about is seeing our common humanity, sharing experiences and SOSS is for us a forum to do that and I already feel so blessed that I've made so many new friends, two of them in this room, through SOSS and I really hope this movement continues to expand.
0: Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> um, actually, yeah, we, we did, we've done this two years or three three times I think where we're Muslim and Jewish groups have come together and helped with, like, Nolan Elementary and, like, um, revamping the elementary schools. That was David, I think, Kurzman and Samaya and kind of took the lead on that. Um, And I totally agree with you. So I did a lot of interfaith, I mean, some interfaith stuff throughout high school, college, a little bit in med school. And I did get to this point where I was like, I mean, this is great, but then where does the dialogue go from there? It's kind of just listening to somebody or you get to speak, but there's not building that relationship. And I felt like that was like, we can talk until we're blue in the face about this stuff but until we're like doing work together working together or just listening to each other's stories it doesn't meaning talk like on a mic and you know, talking to you versus like with each other. One of my so, friends. I mean, this is used essence. To, and that's why I was really interested in starting
2: S S O S too. One of my friends like to say it had to be more than hummus and hugs. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> like that. Right. You, you have to be willing to invent, invite your friends to your kids' birthday parties. Like it's, that's mm-hmm. that's the actual test of real yes, friendship. That's is that true. like, hey, this is my Muslim friend. It's hey, this is my friend mm-hmm. who is becoming part of my life. And that's I think that's where we have to get to. So, wow. I can't believe it's been
0: – I mean, this conversation went by so quickly. I feel like we could yeah. sit here and talk for a long time. We why we'll do a people That's why you invite people exactly. back. Exactly. Yeah. We will definitely do – and I was actually thinking about doing – having our whole SOS group in a few months after we've met several times and having all of us come in and have a conversation. I think that would be really cool. That would be so fun. So I think we're going to wrap up now. Um, We are running out of time. But thank you so much, both of you, for being here. I really appreciate this. And again, what I love about this whole process is that just these themes kind of organically evolve. And I think the themes for today were, you know, having real conversations, friendships across, you know, divides, whether it's political or religious, that you can come together and build relationships, friendships, um, love, you know. So I think that's kind of the theme. So it is, uh, and I agree with you, um, Alicia. I'm kind of uh sometimes I can be naive. Sometimes I can be optimistic. I would say naive, but I try to be optimistic. Sometimes it's a little bit hard, but I think you have to have that hope. I mean, look, Obama wasn't able to run for, Again, but we, still, we can still use his we campaign slogan. You. I know. We can yes, still use his campaign slogan. Right. If, you know, keeping hope alive. Yeah. So, thank you so much to all of our listeners. Thank you for your support. Follow us on our Facebook page. Listen to our other episodes. Um, like, share. And I think the main point is, you know, I, although we do kind of get into politics, I really want my hope is that this podcast is kind of shared far and wide. Share it with a friend. Um, And I want it to be something that people have something to talk about even across whatever the divides are to come to like kind of a common point. So thanks so much for tuning in. And we will be here next week with another unsung hero. Thanks a lot, everybody.